Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us because we believe that it helps us draw more power out of them and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm so happy to have with me my colleague and good friend, Jason Combs. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. Glad to be here. Ah, Glad to have you here. So uh, Jason teaches in the same department that I do. Uh, and uh, his wife actually is uh, an employee at BYU in the IT department. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, lives very close to where I used to live in Pleasant Grove. Uh, just a great guy. Did his PhD at uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, uh, studying with some of the greats there. Uh, we've had a number of great scholars come from that place uh, and has been with us for a number of years now, uh, teaching New Testament. And is just a fantastic teacher and, and a great friend. So uh, just happy to have you here. What else should we know about you, Jason? Uh, well, uh, I guess we could add that you and I go way back. Uh, right after I completed my bachelor's degree at BYU, I did yeah. a classics post-baccalaureate program at UCLA and was there just as you were finishing off your, your PhD at UCLA. Yeah, uh, I, I'd so, forgotten so we, that. We, we met way back when uh, you were teaching an institute class back then. Yeah, I think uh, Mark and, Wright came that same year, I think, didn't yes, he? Yes, yeah, Mark yeah. Wright was there at the same time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right, the two of you, I do remember that now. UCLA connection there as well. And you uh, you did some studies elsewhere as well, right? Right, yeah, so, yeah, so I did a master's degree at Yale Divinity School and uh, in, in biblical studies and a master's in classics at Columbia University before going to uh, UNC, Chapel Hill. And those are both great, great places. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and your undergrad was at BYU, is that right? So, my undergrad uh, was at BYU. Yeah, started off a psychology major, and then oh, got that's hooked, the same as me. Got hooked on Hebrew and switched to Near Eastern studies. Yeah, that we're exactly the same, except for that I was so far along that I just got the minor uh, in Hebrew and and got the degree in psychology. But yeah. I didn't realize I, that. I probably should have done that. I was, I was, I think, a one class away from completing my psychology degree. So. <laughs> I probably should have gone that route, but oh, uh, that's fun. Yeah. So yeah, we'll take people who go to to UCLA and BYU. So that's good. All right. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah. good. Uh, we're, oh, we're, and I should oh, yeah. I should also tell all all uh, all the listeners to uh, to check out uh, a book I edited this that just came out this past oh, year yes. called Ancient Christians. Yeah, Ancient Christians: An Introduction for Latter Day Saints. Uh, if you want to know what happened after the New Testament. Uh, take a look at that book. So we'll we'll put a link for that in the show notes. That's yeah, a really that's useful book, really, really useful book yeah. that uh, I think will help people. So uh, good deal. Yeah, we'll put a link for that and uh, suggest that. Okay, but first, before we, we get going with this, I just need to take care of a little bit of business that I should have taken care of uh, last week. And that is, and I'm afraid many won't hear this quite in time, but uh, we talked about how if you joined Spark, uh, that's the Society for the Preservation of Ancient Religious Cultures, um, you could uh, hear a lecture by Dr. Andrew Skinner on the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and the New Testament. Uh, that will be on July 29th at 7 p.m. Uh, or sorry, July 30th. Sorry, it's a Sunday, July 30th at 7 p.m. And uh, so this this episode will post on July 30th in the morning. Uh, so I hope those of you who would like to take advantage of that, that you hear this in time and you're able to, if you're hearing this afterwards, it's okay. You can still join Spark 
and these videos, uh, you'll get access to that video and a host of other lectures, uh, dozens of other lectures by me, most of them by me, but some by Lincoln Blumel or uh, all sorts of other guests that we've had, Kent Jackson and so on, um, that would uh, you'll have access to all of those lectures. Uh, if you join Spark. So uh, in order to join, just go to Spark Project. That's Spark with a C at the end, S-P-A-R-C, sparkproject.org, and join. And you can hear the less lecture live, or you can listen to it and other lectures recorded. So uh, I just wanted to do that. Should have done it a while ago. Now, let's jump back in. Um, I Also, you have children, right? I do. Yeah, four children, three of them now at BYU. Uh, one yeah. of them uh, heading into her junior year in high school, who just got I, her driver's license and is very excited about that. Oh, exciting. So that's uh, my youngest is also doing his uh, junior year, just about heading in. So that's great. Yeah. And he's, I think, downstairs right now on the driver's ed course. So, uh, uh, <laughs> And uh, with four children or three at, at BYU, that I thought you looked like you were poorer than you used to be. So yes. anyway. <laughs> Well, all right. Uh, we've got all sorts of uh, great material. We're doing the very end of Acts. Yeah. And, and in some ways, I mean, this is the a, a seminal change for us in uh, our New Testament studies, because after this, we're done with narrative stuff. And yeah. uh, we move into all sorts of other kinds of writings, mostly epistles. Uh, well, all epistles, but, you know, Revelation's a bit different than, say, Romans. But um but uh, let's let's finish up this story of Paul today. So what elements uh, have really spoken to you or, or been very real for you? Yeah, Jason? There's, there's so much good stuff in these chapters. Um, I So um, last week, it sort of ended right where this week picks up, right? Yeah, yeah there's uh, not Paul, really a break Paul, there. Paul has arrived in Jerusalem. He's gone to the temple. And uh, now he's gotten into a little bit of trouble. There, a number of people have accused him of of bringing a Gentile into the temple. They've accused him of uh, of saying things against the law of Moses. And so we pick up right at the point where he is about to address that crowd in Acts twenty two. Right, that's where we're at today. Is Acts yeah. twenty two? Yep. Yeah, and I think so. We we've finished that third and last missionary journey. He has one journey ahead of him, but it's yeah. uh, it's a different beast. Um, and so I, I think you're right. This to me seems so Paul. Um, we see this, you know, like when he's in Ephesus and they are in this huge riot because of his teachings and so on. And he he says, well, just give me a chance to talk to him. I can convince him, right? And and yeah. uh, the people with him are like, ah, no, this is not a good idea. Let's get out of here. So here he's got these people who've been trying to beat him up and right. and, uh, and and trying to, to like really beat him to death. And uh, he gets yeah. a, a, a chance and he says, well, let me talk to him. I just want to talk to him. Yeah. He always feels like if he can just have the chance to teach that he'll convince somebody. And the the Roman the Roman guard has just come into the temple to to break up the mob and drag Paul out. That was at the end of uh, twenty one, and uh, and and he actually catches them a little off guard because he turns to him and starts talking to him in Greek, and then he turns yeah. back to the uh, to the Jews who had been mobbing him and addresses them in Hebrew. Yeah, yeah, it's and you can't tell this guy's like, yeah, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. Yeah. So just to just to summarize what what we end up seeing in these chapters, uh, he addresses he addresses the mob here. 
Um, it doesn't go quite as well as I'm sure Paul would have hoped. Uh, the second that he talks about uh, God being open to welcoming Gentiles, they get pretty upset with him. Yeah, they seem um, to take what what he's saying okay up to that point. But as soon as Gentiles is mentioned, then it's game over. They want to kill him again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for Paul and, and the early Christians, uh, we saw this a few chapters back. This 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 was a challenge even for them, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was a challenge for Peter. It was a challenge for, for Paul and, and, and for all James. the Christians. At that time. Yeah. James. Yeah. Um, this this was this was a dramatic shift for them to understand yeah. how to welcome Gentiles in uh, on equal footing with Jewish Christians, and it's something that that we'll see again and again as we read Paul's letters. This is yes. this is a constant refrain in Paul's letters as he's trying to help the church to understand how Jews and Gentiles are now united in Christ. And I, I think to some degree, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and say, what is wrong with those guys? But yeah. to some degree, when you you just keep being conquered by one group or another, and, and yeah. so you feel like you're this uh, kind of uh, picked on trying to survive group, which is still a feeling for many today, um, then one of the things you can cling on to is, well, we are different than they are yes. and that God has chosen us and God will take care of us. And so we're different. And so yeah. it's okay. And then to be told, well, no, we're going to make all the people who have persecuted you and who uh, are ruling over you, we're going to welcome them in as well, and we'll all be the same. That's that's tough to hear. Yeah. And and by the end of these chapters, uh, the message is even more stark, where Paul is saying, okay, for the time being, we are now turning entirely to the Gentiles. You, 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 my, my fellow Jews have rejected this message. The yep. gospel is now going to the Gentiles. I imagine that was incredibly difficult for Paul, uh, but that that's what had to happen at that point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I like how you mentioned it's difficult for Paul. One of the points Paul will make every time he speaks to them, and it's partially because they're accusing him of not caring about the Torah and not caring about yeah. uh, the law of Moses, but he almost always brings up first thing his bona fides as almost like a super jew yes right? like no i am as observant and have been from my birth at one of the most observant people you've ever met you can't get more jewish than i am is is kind yeah. of what he's saying absolutely yeah i i was thinking of um a passage in philippians which you'll get to later yeah. but uh Paul does exactly that, where he just he lists off his that he's a Hebrew born of Hebrews. He's yeah, uh, he was a Pharisee. He, Pharisee born of a Pharisee is one of the yeah. phrases they use in this reading, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think I think it's easy for us to forget that that Paul. I, I often when I'm talking to my students, I. I I try and help them to to understand how Paul sees himself still as Jewish. And so I, I will say something like, imagine somebody going to Joseph Smith and asking Joseph Smith, when did you stop being Christian? Uh, when did you stop being Christian and become Mormon? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that question would have baffled Joseph. Joseph would have said, no, I am absolutely Christian. In fact, yeah. Joseph may have even said, I'm even more Christian because of the restoration. I, and I think I that's think, exactly what he would say. Yeah. And I think Paul and Peter and all of them see, see 
see it in a very similar light. They say, no, I'm even more Jewish because now I understand who the Messiah is, who has come to fulfill everything from the law and the prophets. Yeah, and that really seems to be Paul's point in all of the sermons we're going to read for this reading is, I am very, very Jewish, and I have come to understand what the Torah really was saying and what the yeah. prophets really have been saying, and it's about the Messiah, and I know who the Messiah is. And yeah. then one of his points will be, and the resurrection of the Messiah, right. uh, which as a as a super Pharisee, I definitely believe in, and he'll use that, he'll play that card a couple times to get That's out right. of trouble. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, in in these chapters, uh, he will he will use that at one point when he notices that there are both Sadducees and Pharisees in the room, and he'll bring that up because he knows the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, and then the Pharisees who do will yeah. will start debating with the Sadducees, and he'll be able to walk away. Yeah, he he changes who the us versus them is instead of the whole Sanhedrin versus him. Now he's yes. a Pharisee, and it's uh, Pharisees versus Sadducees, and it gets him out of a spot it didn't look like he could get out of. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's uh, I believe it's the very next chapter. Is that twenty three where yeah. we get that happening? Yeah, I think it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, twenty two, he tries to address the crowd. Uh, and and it's going well, as you say, until he mentions Gentiles. Um, then he's brought before the Sanhedrin, and we get that in 23. Um, by the end of 23, uh, or in the middle of 23, uh, there is now a plot to kill Paul. Yeah. And so they have to get Paul out of town. And they take him to, to Caesarea. So they get him out of Jerusalem. They take him all the way to the coast to Caesarea Maritima. And and this uh, is one of the, the, I think it's the one time we learned something about Paul's family because the guy who figures yeah. it out is his nephew, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, Paul has siblings. Yeah, should have yeah. guessed that. Didn't think of it, but uh, he has siblings and nephews and nieces. And this nephew comes to his rescue. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we. it's easy to forget how much, or it's easy to forget how little information is actually in the scriptures, right? Yeah. I think we assume that we know everything based on the story, say, in Acts. But yeah. there's so much that, that, that we will later see in the letters of Paul. And even that is not enough. Well, there's, yeah. there's so much more information that we just don't have access to that we'd love to. Right. Yeah. So if you're going to make yeah. this real, like we, we tend to, I mean, I think this is worth thinking about. He's got, you think of, do you have a, an uncle or an aunt that maybe could be Paul, right? And and what do you do when you, man, this guy's going to get killed by the mob. Oh, now he's got this plot. He's getting uh, arrested and taken away. And how would that affect Paul's family members? Yeah. And how does Paul think of, okay, I'm not seeing these family members again. And that, I mean, there are a lot more emotions at play here than we often give credit for, because these are real people that have real lives. And we just hear, as you say, about this little teeny uh, kind of one prism, uh, one part of the prism of their, their That's lives. Right. Yeah. And I don't believe... Um, I'd have to double check this, but I don't believe it makes it clear whether Paul's nephew is a Christian or not. No, I don't think it does. And it so only that's, just says that's it's another, his another layer of complexity there. We don't know if his family all agrees with what yeah. he's now preaching compared to what he was preaching at the towards the beginning of Acts. Yeah. Um, and, and nevertheless, they are obviously still concerned about Paul, uh, concerned yeah. enough to to 
to um, act when they find out there's a plot against his life. Yeah. Yeah. And it does uh, also tell you how uh, just how much these people and at least uh, some groups in Jerusalem are against Paul, where there's a group of 40 who will take a vow. We won't eat again until we kill him. And the yeah. whole uh, the leaders that they appeal to are like, hey, good. You, you go do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is really serious opposition to Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And and you start to get a sense of the political complexities in this as well. Right. Uh, later yeah. on, we'll find out that um, that Felix, who's who's governor and has every right to release Paul, chooses not to because he doesn't want to offend the Jewish population who has him imprisoned to begin with. Yeah. And so there's there's all these political dynamics happening behind the scenes that that. Yeah. Well, plus Felix. Um, I, I, now, correct me if I'm wrong. We don't really get this story in Acts, but in some of the epistles, you get the idea that Paul's been raising some money for helping the, the saints in Jerusalem. Certainly. And, yeah. And That's ma maybe a major theme in a lot of his letters. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Felix has uh, gotten wind of that or something because Felix also seems to be holding him helping that he can get some of this money, right? Give me a bribe. I that's, heard you got some money, so give, that's, give me that's some. That's a possibility. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of politics behind the scenes worked based on bribes in that time period, yeah. and and still today in many places in the world. Yes, that's um, true. Yeah, and I think I think since we're drawing attention to um, Paul bringing money back to Jerusalem. I think it's worth reflecting right now uh, in the context of talking about Paul's concern for Gentiles coming in, uh, that Paul is a reader of Isaiah. Yes. Uh, Paul Paul is absolutely immersed in, in reading the Torah and reading the first five books of Moses, but he also loves Isaiah. And it seems to me that Paul sees himself very much as involved in fulfilling some of the prophecies of Isaiah. The yeah. idea that the wealth of the nations would come to Israel, I think Paul very well might see his his involvement in gathering up funds to bring to the poor in, in Jerusalem as part of fulfillment of that prophecy of Isaiah. I, th I think you're right. I, I'd agree 100%. And when we get to uh, uh, Festus and uh, Agrippa, then I, I, we might want to just take a peek at Isaiah 49. I think uh, Paul might yeah. see uh, that as part of what's going on there as well. So yeah. But I, I think yeah. you're right. This may be part of what gave him the idea. I mean, who knows? We can't read his mind, but right. uh, he certainly has this idea. There, there are some more wealthy uh, followers of Jesus out uh, among the Gentiles, and there are some needs in Jerusalem. Uh, and and it may also have been, uh, you know, his saying, "Well, this will help the people there understand that we are all part of one body, yes. and and so we're I'm, all I'm to sure, take care I'm of each sure other." That was part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, now we're in Caesarea. So in in uh, in continuing with the theme of the scriptures being real, let me just share briefly um, that uh, I've I've studied New Testament early Christianity now for decades, uh, but every time I had tried to go to Israel, something would come up. Uh, most recently, I had plans to go to Israel right as COVID hit. Yeah. And so my my trip got canceled, but I finally had the opportunity to go just a few weeks ago, and uh, it, during that trip, got to visit Caesarea Maritima, and it's amazing how the scriptures come to life when you're when you're in that location, right? Yes. 
when you can actually imagine Paul standing there defending himself yeah. uh, and and right right on the right on the coast, right on at a port city, uh, knowing that um, he is going to eventually have to appeal to Caesar and board a ship and head out on the on the sea there. Um, so it, it's it uh, there there are so many things that I had assumed about the geography, about the topography of of Israel, just looking at maps that uh, were totally wrong, <laughs> and that being there in person. Um, I assumed it was a lot more desert than it actually is. The Galilee is not desert at all. No. Um, the the uh, being being I grew up in San Diego, so being along the coast reminded me a lot of San Diego. Mm. Uh, so it was it was really a joy to be there and to 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 feel uh, what it was like to stand in the place where Paul and Peter and and Philip and others had stood there in Caesarea. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, like, I've made the, the drive both in a bus, but also just driving myself a number of times from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And yeah. uh, each time I have to think about this kind of midnight journey of Paul, right. where they're like, hey, let's get him out with this huge cohort and let's get him out fast before this group that's trying to assassinate him. can. And I, and I just think, man, how does Paul, what's Paul thinking and feeling as he goes on this route? And then yeah. uh, I love to have my students, uh, we stand right there at that port. Uh, and I, I try and tell my students, now you picture Peter or Paul on a ship. Uh, they love this land where we're standing and they're sailing away. And both of them probably suspect that this is the last time yes. they see this land and, and think, what are their thoughts? What are their feelings as they are uh, looking at, at the shoreline receding? And it's a beautiful city and seeing this beautiful city disappear in this beautiful land. And, and uh, uh, again, it, it, it helps us understand the humanity of the the folks that we're reading about. And uh, since yeah. I know I'm a human, hopefully that helps me uh, yeah. uh, apply their lives to mine better. Yeah. Well, one of the things I really, um, one of the many things that uh, I think are added perks of being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that wherever you go in the world, you can find a ward, right? And yes. as, soon as, you, as soon as you show up in that ward, it's like your family. Yes, they they immediately welcome you. You 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 feel like you have a place, right? Yes. Um. So thinking about what Paul might be going through, uh, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but I think it's worth mentioning right now. Thinking about what Paul might be going to, leaving leaving his land behind, going on this uh, on this journey that ends up being incredibly treacherous. Uh, yes. By the end of it, the boat is destroyed. Uh, but then as soon as he makes it to land, uh, not not in Malta originally, uh, uh, but but once he makes it to to, to a mainland. The mainland, to Italy, yeah. uh, he's welcomed by a group of members of the church. And, and what a blessing that must have been to him uh, to yeah. be in this foreign land after this incredibly difficult journey uh, where all he had to rely on was his faith and and a single angelic exp uh, experience. Um and then to get there and immediately be welcomed by by friends and family, uh, not not friends and family knew, but people who treated him like like friends and family, right? Yep, and it is similar to experiences many of us have had where you show up somewhere you're like I don't know anything about this yeah. place, and then you're taken in. And for him, yeah. it may have been doubly so because he, I mean, he'd written at at that point like two or three years earlier letters to these communities. 
in uh, in that area and to see that they're faith, you know, hoping to help them stay faithful and in the way and to see them right. in that way must have been not only happy to see someone who's taking care of them, but to say, ah, these guys are doing well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, where are we? I guess we? that's Back assuming in... that Paul wrote Romans, so that's just based on that assumption. But anyway, no, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I mean, from from Paul's epistle to Romans, it's it's very clear that Paul had never been to Rome, uh, yeah. and he he knew some people who knew people at Rome, and he knew some people who were from Rome, but he'd never been there. So. Yeah. At the end of his epistle to the Romans, he does a whole lot of name dropping to say, hey, look, here are a bunch of people that I know that you know. So you can you can ask any of them about me. We're 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 good here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it must have been a huge relief for him to show up there and to be welcomed. Yeah. To, to know that his his letter did not fall on deaf ears. Yeah. 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 So. um it, most of most of these chapters, other than uh, the the brief account of the attempt on Paul's life and his his flight out of Jerusalem to Caesarea, um, which oh, uh, speaking of scriptures are real and, and my experience in Caesarea, uh, yeah, you mentioned driving between the two. Yeah, today you can do that on a freeway and it's only about two hours. Yeah, that's that's not what it would have been for Paul. This yeah. is. When we think about a quick flight out of Jerusalem to Caesarea, this is this is not quick in our terms, right? Uh, and it would have it would have been a perilous journey because of this plot on his life. So yeah. until until they probably until they're out of the mountain region of of Jerusalem, uh, they were probably constantly at fear that behind every ne- every peak or behind every tree there could be these people who are plotting against Paul. Yeah. So uh, that would have been, that would have been difficult. All right. So besides these, these brief accounts of this plot against Paul, and then the uh, travel narrative that we get leading up to Acts 28, uh, where Paul has this treacherous sea journey, the rest of these chapters are essentially Paul's speeches. Yeah. Uh, he he. We talked a little about that first speech he gives to the people in the Jerusalem temple. He then defends himself before the Sanhedrin and pits the Pharisees against the Sadducees. Then after that, we get uh, Paul before Felix and Festus, and then another Agrippa. Uh, yeah. This is not the Agrippa that we met earlier in Acts. This is now the son of that Agrippa. This is yeah, that, that's the one that the died, right? Yes, so, yeah. In, the previous Caesarea, Agrippa died. So yeah. But but for for readers of Acts, just to hear the name Agrippa at this point should cause some fear, right? Yeah. Um, if if this son of Agrippa is anything like the previous Agrippa, uh, the previous Agrippa wasn't all that friendly to Christians, and so um, there should be if you're reading this for the first time and you're not familiar with the story, I imagine you would be a little bit concerned when you see that oh no, now an Agrippa wants to hear Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And this Agrippa was also wanting to make Jews like him and Jews didn't like Christians. So, I mean, there's there's a little something to that, but he's a different guy. But it's still yeah. there, it's not without uh, uh, founding. Yeah. Well, in, in a lot of these speeches, Paul takes the opportunity to share a little of, of his conversion experience of his of, of the change and, and how he went from being a persecutor of Christians 
very zealous for uh, enforcing a particular reading of the Jewish law to believing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and working to undo some of the damage he had done in the past and now to go even farther and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, it's interesting to note that that we get, we end up getting about three, well, yeah, we end up getting three different accounts of Paul's conversion experience in the book of Acts. Yeah, that road to uh, Damascus get, experience, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get the account that, that Luke gives when he first introduces Paul and tells of his conversion. But then we get Paul telling his own conversion account uh, two more times. And in each of those accounts, it's interesting that there are some subtle differences. The main themes are the same, that he had he had a visionary experience uh, that transformed him and that somehow through that experience or in the result in the in what happened after that experience, he was called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, but there are some differences in those accounts. Uh, for instance, when when Luke very first gives the account for us back in in Acts nine, um, it talks about those who are traveling with him and how uh, they they heard a voice speaking to Paul, but they didn't see anything. And then when Paul tells the story in Acts twenty two, now he talks about how those who were with him saw the light, but didn't hear the voice of the one who was speaking with him. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a little bit weird. And and what's a little bit weird about that is we're reading acts. That's all yeah. written by the same person. You, you'd think that the person would have smoothed out some of these differences. Uh, another difference is, um, how Paul how Paul learns from this visionary experience that he is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, in in Acts nine, um, Paul uh, Paul is told he needs to go to uh, Ananias, and then it's Anna, it's from Ananias that he learns that he is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, in in twenty, let's see. So that's Acts nine uh, verse fifteen. The Lord says to Paul, or the Lord says to Ananias, uh, go, he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings before my people Israel. Uh, but that's not mentioned earlier in, in Paul's actual visionary account. Then in Acts 22, um, Ananias says he will be a witness to all the world. Uh, and then uh, Acts 22, verse 21, then he, God, says to Paul, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So it's sort of the second visionary experience where, or second maybe auditory revelatory experience where God says, okay, go to the Gentiles. Now skipping ahead to Acts 26, uh, it says uh, Paul um, Paul is, is sharing his conversion experience again here. And he says, I've appeared to you for this purpose. This is Paul relating what God says. I've appeared to you for this purpose to appoint to you to serve and to testify of these things, which you have seen me uh, to those in which I will appear to you. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Uh, so in Acts 26, Paul's account, uh, it's that a, a initial revelatory experience 
that Paul is told to go to the Gentiles. So there's these interesting differences between each of these visionary accounts all in one book. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's that's quite interesting because sometimes people get really hung up about the different accounts we have of Joseph Smith's first vision. Yeah. Uh, because there are some subtle differences between those accounts. And those yeah. accounts were given in very different years, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, you you wrote a book on this uh, yeah. that was published uh, just a couple years back, right? Yeah, or, uh, yeah this book. So, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So On Joseph Smith's first visions. Yeah, and, and trying to um, bring together all those different accounts, which is, is tricky because there are a lot of differences. Yeah, yeah. And and yet here in Acts, the, the author doesn't seem to have a problem with that. Today, today yeah. we, we tend to have a, a lot more of um how to describe it. Our 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 view of history, we want we want all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, right? Yeah. We yeah. want all the facts. We don't want any contradictions. We want everything to be perfect. We want it as if a, a video camera was held up and we were seeing exactly what happened uh, from exactly that perspective. Uh, but that's that's a very modern view of, of how history should be written and how history works. Yeah. Uh, clearly, that was not a concern for the author of Acts. Uh, clearly, Joseph, in in sharing his experiences, didn't feel the need to go back and check what he had written previously to make sure what he was sharing now perfectly aligned with what he had previously experienced. Right. Um, so, I I, th I think we just we get a little too hung up on on trying to impose our version of what history should be on ancient versions of history. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and also sometimes we forget how humanity works. So as two psychology guys, we can uh, I mean, we know that different triggers cue different parts of the memory and so yeah. on and so on. So this and, is and emotion normal. is very bound up with with what we we remember and how we remember it. Yeah. So it it yeah. is standard practice for humans to remember different the same story in different different elements of the same story or see it differently at different times in their life based on what's going on. That is just the human experience. And yeah. so it is fun to see. I think I, I see so many parallels with Paul. So I think there's some strong parallels between Paul and say Alma the Younger. Uh, but we're also seeing these parallels mm. between Paul and Joseph Smith. Um, and, and we have that with Alma the Younger as well, right? We have a couple different accounts of his, yeah. uh, the vision where the angel tells him kind of the same thing, like a, you're persecuting me and that's not a good idea, but, um, uh, and, and it's different in the, all of the times you see Alma tell it is different and all the times you see Joe Smith tell it's different and, and Paul as well. And I see parallels in their lives as well. So I think this yeah. is, uh, uh, fun stuff to just see how God works with us and our human frailties in responding. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's um, let's jump to the end. I think that's where I want to spend most of my time. Um, the end of Acts, for me, really summarizes so much of the whole purpose of the book of Acts. So let's let's turn to Acts 28. All right. Well, if, if it's all right, just for a second before we go there, yeah. if we can just spend a second in... Uh, uh, 20, is it 26 where, yeah, where he's, uh, testifying to Festus and, uh, Agrippa. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and there are just a couple things, if it's all right with you, I'd love to just point out, um, yeah, one, let's take a look. 
And I mentioned that we may want to do this. If we were to go to, and I'm going to try and get my scriptures to do this. If we were to go to Isaiah 49, um, mm -hmm. Isaiah, I'm getting there, chapter 49. Problem is Isaiah is such a big book, it's hard to get anywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, we often think of this as describing Christ and Isaiah. But I would guess that as Paul read this, that he also saw it as applying to himself. And I can see this applying to Paul. You know, I believe Isaiah often applies, well, most of the time applies to more than one instance. Yeah. So we right. get verse one where it says, listen, O isles unto me and hearken you people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother uh, hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver. He hath hid me. Uh, that. I mean, that's a good description of Paul, actually. Yeah, it really and, is. And when he says, thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I shall be glorified, I, I can see Paul saying, I am a Jew of Israel who is called to do all of these things for God. I can I could see Paul identifying there as well. Now, I don't know. I haven't talked with Paul recently, but um, I, I, do, I would guess he sees himself in that. And there are a bunch of other things we could read. But I think if, especially if we go down to verse 6. And he said, it is a light thing. So in this case, light is not like optical light, but it's a not heavy thing. It's a it's it's not heavy enough that thou should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved of Israel. And everywhere Paul went, he tried to do that, right? He always went to the yeah, synagogue absolutely. first. He was trying to convince the Jews first. I think he did really want to save his fellow Jews um, and help them understand what the covenant and the Messiah were really about. But then he says, I will also give thee for a light. And this is the optical kind of light. I will give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be salvation unto the end of the earth. I would guess when Paul sees that after being told, as we've just read a couple of times, that he is to go to the Gentiles, he must have of just, you know, uh, that, that must have sent a vibe yeah. through him. Um, and then yeah. look at, at this next part. Uh, if we go to verse seven, thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, and Paul's had plenty of that. To him whom the nation abhorreth, his own nation is abhorring him. To a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee, right? Yeah. Paul is, in, in chapter 26, is going to, to testify before a king and before, uh, in a way, a prince. He's a, 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 a representative of the, the Caesar, right, of the emperor, and he's trying to get sent to the emperor himself, right? He, this must yeah. have reverberated with Paul, like, okay, I am testifying before kings, I'm testifying before princes, and I'm being sent to all of the earth. And uh, uh, I have to say, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed and ashamed of myself that that's not in my commentary, and I haven't been teaching this in my class. I talk about these and how they apply to so many different people. And it's not until we're really getting into Acts this year that I'm like, oh, hey, Paul is also a really great fulfillment of these verses. Um, and so I, I thought that's worth pointing out, you know, I, I can't help but do Isaiah when I have the chance, but um, yeah, but I, I think there's another element of that, um, that uh, story. And then, then we can move on. But uh, this story where he's uh, testifying to Agrippa and your Greek is much better than mine. So you'll have to tell me if I, if I have this wrong, but uh, we, this part where he, he testifies. And again, he's like, I'm a, I'm a super Jew. And he knows that Agrippa is, is 
uh, liked by the Jews and and tries to be at least seen as fairly Jewish and so on. But that's also a strike against Paul because the Jews don't like, well, many Jews don't like Paul. And so Agrippa wants to keep them happy. But um, uh, when you get to this part, say in verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. So Paul's saying, I know you believe these things. Yeah, yeah. And then we get this famous verse in verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. My my understanding is, uh, with based on my limited Greek and then talking to people like Wilfred Griggs and others, that uh, perhaps a better translation would be, you you think you'll persuade me to be a Christian this quickly? Um, yeah. and, and he seems to be, this is his way out of Paul saying, I know you believe the prophets, and I just showed how the prophets teach that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and Agrippa's response is, uh, if you're trying to get me into this this quickly, that it's not going to work. I'm jumping out yeah. of this ship uh, yeah. because it's it's politically tricky for me. Um, now I love uh, also the idea of almost self persuaded to be a Christian, but uh, but I, I I I can see more the realities that we were talking about the, the political trickiness that's going on. If he's saying uh, you're not going to persuade me this quickly, and that's when yeah. we get Paul saying, "I would to God that not only thou but." All that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Right? I don't want to hold up his chains or something, you know, except this part. But um, that's where in some ways you see that's what makes Paul tick. That's that's the heart of Paul. All right. I just did everything I could to show you that the prophets and that the Torah and the law say that Jesus is the Messiah. And you're jumping out of it, but I want you to know, I wish that it's why I preach to the all the crowds I've preached to. That's why I've just preached to you now, because I want all of you to understand that the scriptures teach us Jesus is the Messiah. And yeah. these guys aren't going to listen to him, but Paul has done what his heart is always telling him to do. And yeah. I, in some ways, that just is very, very moving to me. This is really kind of his last sermon that we hear paul preach and uh and it's a moving one to me yeah i think you're right about the the greek of 28 um uh, and yet his response saying are you trying to persuade me to be a christian and suggests that he may in fact have almost been persuaded to be a christian right um so i kind of suspect he is somewhat persuaded but he's like yeah, Pilate and so many others. The political, content, or, you know, ex- expediencies are just uh, too much for him, and he's yeah. not going to do what he seems to be understanding. Yeah, and he's he's certainly persuaded enough that that this chapter concludes by him saying, "If Paul hadn't appealed to Caesar, he would be free right now. There's there's yeah. nothing. There's no reason to hold him based on what I've just heard." Yeah. Yeah, both of them are like, ah, we could let this guy go. I th- I'm not sure either one of them would have. It's not a good right. idea to send Paul back to Jerusalem. They're no. both trying to make the Jews happy. Uh, yeah. So I think they see, it's a little bit like Pilate. They see, okay, there's no reason to condemn this guy, but I'm caught in a pickle and here's my way out. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, of course, Paul sees this as his opportunity to get an audience before the emperor. Yeah. And so uh, Paul is taking advantage of the opportunity in his own way to have the chance to stand before the emperor of, for Paul and others, the the world, and yeah. profess before him this message about Christ. 
Yeah. I, in fact, that's what I was just going to ask you is uh, I know many have thought and we can't know. Uh, there, it, this is all reading between the lines, a lot of what we're doing. And so this just be an opinion. But many have thought that Paul has become over time kind of convinced that he needs to go to Rome. And this as, as he's spending so long with everyone trying to uh, you know beat him up or kill him or whatever that he comes to see this might be my way to get to Rome. This yeah. maybe this is God's put me in this position because this is the way I go and do what he's asked me to do and go where he's asked yeah. me to go. Yeah. And there's not many ways to get an audience before the emperor. No. And no. so Paul may see this as, as his shot. And it's kind of fun to see him playing this uh, Roman citizenship card every now and then, because you, you see it always, people are like, oh man, this is complicated, right? The When when he's about to be beaten by the, uh, oh no, I can't remember what you call him, but the uh, guy who's in charge in Jerusalem, and Paul says, yeah. uh, is it lawful to beat a Roman? And the guy's like, ooh, whoa, yeah. okay, problem yeah, yeah, yeah. here. And uh, same thing with this, oh, you appeal to Caesar, well... My hands are tied. I guess you're going to go to Caesar. There's nothing I can do now. You, he's he, Paul has this card he can play, and it ties everybody's hands. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, all right. Well, thanks for uh, indulging me on that. We can jump to 28, which is great stuff, as you said. Yeah. Um, so, so in 28, we really get a sense of how bold Paul's message is going to be when he stands before the emperor. Um, let's let's jump to the very end of 28. Uh, at the very end of 28, uh, we learned that uh, Paul um, Paul is essentially under house arrest, but it se seems like it's a very uh, earlier in 28. We find out once once he's under arrest in Rome, he essentially only has one guard and he's living in a house. Um, by 2830, we find out he's spending two whole whole years in his own hired house and received all that came into him. So people can come and go. This is this is a very casual kind of arrest. They are not worried that Paul is a flight risk. Yeah, I mean, I think Paul has proven time and again by this point that he is not a flight risk. No, and in he, fact, he, is, he wants to be in Rome. So yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what's interesting, though, is is the message, and presumably this is the message he plans to bring to the emperor. Uh, in verse 31, what he's preaching is the kingdom of God, teaching those things uh, which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Um, today, we read that language, and it all sounds very religious to us, and rightfully so. It was also religious in Paul's day, but it's not just religious language in Paul's day. This language of kingdom, this language of yeah. Lord. Even the word Christ uh, has a resonance with this. I mean, the, the anointed ones in antiquity are predominantly kings. Sure, yeah. prophets and priests could be anointed too, but this is a kingly title. Yeah. So for Paul to be in the heart of the Roman Empire, planning to appear before the emperor, the ultimate king over the entire known world for Paul, uh, and to then proclaim to his face a kingdom of God that is not the emperor's God, and to say that the ruler of this kingdom of God is not the, the Lord Emperor, but the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a really bold proclamation. Yeah. Uh, that, that, would be, that would be like 
some random person from a distant land spending two years in Washington, D.C., proclaiming somebody else's president. Yeah, it or higher say, than the president. And yeah, 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 I mean, you could be president, but you're going to answer to this guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. It would sound very strange. Um, now, some have, some have well, suggested. Maybe I can just even interject there that. Yeah, uh, please. This is uh, one of the places where I actually see uh, a pretty strong parallel between Paul and Jesus, uh, because mm. it does remind me of Jesus at the end of his life brought before Pilate. And and the question is about kingship. And uh, and Pilate asks him, well, are you a king indeed? And he says, to this end was I born. But he also says, my kingdom is not of this world. Right. So yeah. Christ yeah. is is bold and saying, no, yeah, I, I'm. I'm a king, but you don't have to worry about me because it's not I'm not dealing with your small potatoes. Um, I'm dealing with something bigger. But yeah. uh, but it is clear that kingship is at the heart of, of that question. And Christ does not back away from it. And and Paul is doing the same thing when he's brought before his ultimate authority as it well, yeah. ultimate earthly authority. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and the claim goes farther than that because the claim is is not just um i mean jesus and john says my kingdom is not of this world but it makes it very clear in other gospels and in paul's letters that this kingdom that is not of this world is coming to this world yeah that's true that this world will be transformed yeah and so this proclamation that paul is bringing before the emperor is a proclamation that there is another king who has ultimate authority, more authority than you, and he will ultimately be the one ruling here on earth, not you and not any of your descendants. Yeah, uh, he uh, will come again is one of his yeah. major messages. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so this this is this is a really bold proclamation. Now, some some have seen uh, and maybe sorry, Acts, I, I'll interrupt just one more time, but just to tie together yeah. some things we've done in the podcast, we've talked yeah. before about Paul being a kingdom builder, that that's part of why he keeps going on these these mm. uh, missions and going back and revisiting and right. making sure they're all right, that he does have in his mind that he is helping to build a kingdom. And so I just yes. wanted to tie those further conversations in with this for our, our audience. So, yeah, or, I mean, those previous the, conversations, is, I meant. This is the kingdom of God on earth that, yeah. that Paul is involved in, in preparing. Um, so some have seen the end of the book of Acts as uh, not a very good ending. It's sort of sort of trailing off, right? Yeah, it's um, a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been we've been leading up to uh, Paul's appearance before the emperor. We'd really like to get to that part, and it just sort of ends. Now, um, it's not clear why it ends the way it does. I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest a possibility in just a minute. Um, but first, let me mention a couple of others that people have thought of in the past. Some have suggested that, I think the very per first person to suggest this was a German scholar named Adolf von Harnack. Um, uh, F.F. Bruce is an is American scholar who really promoted this, uh, thought that what happened was Luke is there witnessing what's happening, and he simply ended the book of Acts where he ran out of information because that's all he had. That's what the story had come up to at that point. Um, most scholars don't accept that view today, uh, simply because it causes a lot of problems with the dating of Luke and the dating of other gospels, especially Mark, and what we know about the dating of Mark from an early Christian named Papias. So it, it really causes some problems with the dating if we put Acts that early. 
Um, plus, it, it 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 it's a pretty big assumption to say that Luke decided to end the way he did just because he ran out of information. Most authors don't just trail off because they run out of information. They would still finish things off. They would come up with an ending that they are happy with. Uh, some have postulated that maybe Luke planned a third volume that was going to pick up here and continue. But again, the, these are just, there, there's no evidence for any of these. These are just guesses. Um, and regardless of these guesses, we still have to answer the question of why Luke chose to end the way he ended. And I think the reason he chose to end the way he ended has to do with the purpose of the book of Acts. And the purpose of the book of Acts is introduced by Luke way back at the beginning. So let's turn all the way back to the very beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Right at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, uh, Luke introduces this volume as a part 2. The very first verse refers to a former treatise addresses Theophilus, who's mentioned in the former treatise, that is the Gospel of Luke, and then introduces the subject of this new uh, epistle, or this new, uh, not epistle, this new uh, history. <coughs> um, so he says that the former epistle had to do with everything that Jesus both did and taught, up until the day he was taken up. In verse 3, he mentions that Jesus appeared to his apostles a number of times after his resurrection and taught them for 40 days. It describes the them being assembled together uh, to hear Jesus' message and then to see Jesus off. And then the final question they ask of Jesus before Jesus ascends is in verse 6. And their question is, um, is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? There's that kingdom language that we've been right. talking about. Right. They're still uh, looking they're for the Messiah the way about, they were thinking of. Yeah, they're definitely thinking about the sort of prophecies we've been talking about from Isaiah, ideas yeah. about the kingdom and Israel. And Jesus responds to them without directly answering the question. He simply says it's not for them to know the times or the seasons, that, that, that that's, that's up to the Father. Um, but then he says this in verse 8. But after right after telling them it's not for them to know the time when the kingdom will, will be restored to Israel, he does give them something they can know that has to do with this restored kingdom for Israel, this kingdom of God that will be created. But, in verse 8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, of course, the time that the Holy Spirit comes upon them is the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. uh, that's Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, and Jesus has now stayed with them for 40 days. So they only have to wait 10 more days before this yeah. big event's going to happen. Well, and he was dead uh, for but, a few days in there. So we're down to like a and week. And he was yeah. dead for a few days in there as yeah. well. So yeah, even less than 10. Um, maybe a week before before they experienced Pentecost. Yeah. Um, and then at that point, 
the rest of the book of Acts demonstrates the fulfillment of Jesus's promise to them. Yeah. It starts with them preaching about Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea. By Acts chapter 8, they're preaching the gospel in Samaria. And then the rest of the book of Acts is all about the gospel going to the uttermost part of the earth, going to the Gentiles. And so at the very end of Acts, we now have Paul in the heart of the ends of the earth, the heart yeah. of the Roman Empire. All roads converge there. And he's preaching the gospel continuously uh, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So, yeah. so I think this is actually a really nice ending because it summarizes everything that had come before. Um, had had Luke chosen to include something like the death of Paul, I think it would have undermined a little bit the the message that Paul conveys here. You'll see in in Acts twenty eight that Paul teaches. Uh, Paul Paul at first is welcoming groups of Jews to his home and and teaching them, and then. Uh, starting in verse 23. So 23 just says that he's persuading them concerning Jesus out of both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. And that sounds like Paul, doesn't it? Both the theme and how long he goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he's uh, always trying to, when he, to teach Jews first and teaching from the scriptures about how it's about Christ. And he's always taking a long time. So in fact, it's probably worth noting that I, I would guess almost all of these teachings and these prophecies that, that Luke summarizes for us, is probably a short summary of what Paul actually said. It's probably longer, whatever oh, Paul absolutely. actually said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Paul's not sure. We, when we don't, we don't get any sermons from Paul, even if you want to include something like Romans that would last from morning until evening. Yeah, but I'm convinced yeah. Paul could keep going from morning until evening. Yes, so am I, until you fall asleep and die, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have that fall one out story. A window. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so uh, in 24, we learn that some of these Jews did believe the things which were which were spoken, and some believe mm -hmm. not. Then in 25, Paul says, or we learn that when they agreed not among themselves, they departed, and after that, Paul had spoken. One word, uh, and here's what Paul says. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, saying, Hear ye, uh, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. Seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of the people is waxed gross, and their ears dull of hearing, and eyes closed, lest they should uh, see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Uh, that, of course, is quoting from Isaiah 6, where yeah. Isaiah is called to preach in such a way. Um, but Paul is now seeing this as, as the words of the Holy Spirit through Isaiah predicting exactly what Paul is experiencing, where the people are not ready to hear this message that Paul is conveying. Now, of course, the same was true in Isaiah's day. The people were not ready to hear the message that Isaiah was preaching. Nevertheless, that prophecy in Isaiah concludes in Isaiah 6 with the promise that there will be a time where there will be a remnant that will return. Yeah, And so I think this may be alluding to that idea that even though this people at this time is not prepared to hear Paul's words, there will be a time when they will.
Um, and I think in Paul's mind, continues. he's saying, oh, sorry. Yeah, if I, in, in Paul's mind, he has just explained this so clearly. Yeah. And they just won't listen, which is yeah. probably accurate. Um, and yeah. and so he just sees this as such a clear fulfillment of what Isaiah had said. So anyway, sorry, keep going. Yeah. So then in verse 28, Paul says, be it known, therefore, unto you. Now, it's not clear who he's talking to. This this seems to be Paul sort of prophesying. It's not clear, clear who he's talking to because it said that they already departed back in 25. But be it therefore known unto you that salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And now we get the Jews departing again in verse 29. So it's not maybe some departed at the beginning of 25 and others departed. So verse 29. Well, and when can you, you read 25 things, the Jews to, to, departed. Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask, can you read 25 to say um, that they departed after Paul had said this part? And then it gives us the part Paul oh, yeah. said and that then they departed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you could read it that way. I think you could also read 29 as saying uh, the Jews departed in the sense that from that point, no more Jews were coming to Paul to hear oh, his yeah. message. Yeah. Okay. Uh, once again, because of the Gentile thing. Yeah, once again, that's because exactly Paul right. has said the message is now going to the Gentiles. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and, and actually, both can be true. I mean, they departed and they yeah. never came back because Paul said, yeah. yeah, I'm done with you. This is all about the Gentiles now. That's right. Yeah. And there's nothing more so, offensive he could say to them. Right. Yeah. So, so I think it could be a little problematic if um, if the author of Acts had chosen to include the narrative of Paul's death, because it, it sort of undermines this final point that Paul is trying to make, that the Jews are not receiving the gospel, the Gentiles are receiving the gospel. Because we know from tradition, uh, we know it first from uh, the epistle of 1 Clement, written very early in the second century, that both Peter and Paul were killed under the Roman Emperor Nero, under a Gentile. Uh, and then, of course, we get more elaborate versions of their martyrdoms in some apocryphal acts, in the Acts of Peter and the Acts of Paul, that are written in the later second century. Um, and in according to those traditions, Paul is beheaded and Peter is crucified upside down. But um, but the whole point of Acts is to show how the kingdom of God is spreading and how the gospel is going to the Gentiles. So it could have been a little anticlimactic to talk about how the gospel is going to the Gentiles to then immediately follow it with, and then Gentiles killed Peter and Paul. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that would have sort of interrupted the whole the whole point of this. Um, so I, I think it ends it ends in a really powerful way with Paul fulfilling that original prophecy of Jesus that the gospel would be preached to the uttermost parts of the earth. And by Paul fulfilling it in a way that for a lot of Gentiles in the time does not seem very triumphant, right? Uh, for Gentiles in the time, triumph is the Roman emperor coming into a city, laying waste to the city, and establishing Roman culture there. Yeah. That and then would hauling be the booty back to Rome, right? Exactly, so, yeah. 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 And having a big parade back in Rome where they're displaying yeah. everything that they captured in this foreign land. Yeah. That is triumph. And yet, for the book of Acts, triumph in the kingdom of God looks very different than triumph in the Roman Empire. Triumph in the kingdom of God looks like Christ crucified. 
triumph in the kingdom of God looks like Paul in prison. And Peter. And so this this is a very different, this is a massive cultural shift. And it, it actually reminds me of a little bit earlier in Acts, back in Acts, um, this is back in Acts 17, when Paul and Silas are preaching in, in Thessalonica. Mm-hmm. And there's this there's this Gentile uh, named Jason who who gets upset at Paul's preaching, and um, in verse six, where he's accusing Paul of 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 causing problems. This is chapter seventeen, verse six. It says. When they found them, they drew Jason and certain brethren to the rulers, crying, I'm sorry, Jason's, um, Jason's, uh, not, not the problem. It's Jason's caught up in the problem. Yes. Yeah, so we um, should like people named Jason is what I understand. <laughs> Absolutely. Jason's yeah. a good name. So, uh, so this mob finds them. They drew Jason and certain brethren to the rulers of the city crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I really like that phrase, the idea yeah. of turning the world upside down. I think that's precisely what Acts is doing, uh, not just in, in proclaiming the kingdom of God, but in the kind of kingdom of God they're proclaiming. It's not one that, that appeals to worldly standards. Yeah. It's not one that looks like an emperor triumphantly entering a city, stealing all that people's stuff, laying waste to the city and bringing it back and leading a parade in Rome. Yeah. Instead, or even the, the Jewish idea of a Messiah that comes and throws off Rome and sets up this huge, beautiful Jewish kingdom. Right, right. Instead, it's it's through sacrifice. It's through humility. It's through... It's through obedience. It's through subservience. It's and, and not suffering. the world's standards. It's yeah. turning the world upside down. And it's interesting that the very next verse here talks about a little bit about how the world is being turned upside down, um, saying, uh, whom Jason hath received, uh, and, all, and, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, one Jesus. So we're back to that final message, that final verse of Acts in 24, where what Paul is preaching is the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, with all confidence from prison. Yeah. Knowing that this kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. As as you mentioned from from uh, the Gospel of John earlier, yeah, yeah. So that's that's in chapter twenty eight, right? That, yeah, yeah. That yeah. well, yes, yeah. I was comparing Acts. Uh, yeah, I, I think you just uh, said Acts twenty four. So uh, I was just seven saying. to Acts. Acts. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, Acts yeah. twenty eight thirty one is the yeah. final verse of Acts. Yeah. And and maybe I mean that that strikes me, and this ties into your your uh, looking at the theme of Luke and how he outlines it in chapter one, and then we see it being tied together here. So maybe just another element of that, if we were to go even to verse one, uh, and this is one of the things I, I love about uh, how Luke sets out the book of Acts, where he says, uh, you know, as you said, the former treatise I made of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, right? And we would think of yes. uh, the book of Luke as uh, Jesus finished doing and teaching, but that's the beginning. So in, in some ways, 
the book of Acts is the next phase. This is what Jesus continued yes. to do and teach through Peter. Initially, we get Peter and Stephen and Philip, and then we yeah. get Paul, 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 right? And you'd be yeah. tempted to say that the book of Acts is all about Paul. And in some ways, I mean, he's certainly the, the character you see the most. Um, but I, I think that the way he ends it and the way you're, you're talking about, and also this idea of the king and the kingdom, it's, it doesn't end with Paul's death. So there's no point in putting Paul's death yeah. as the end of the story, because the yeah. book was about what Jesus is doing through these people and the taking of the gospel to all the world. And that's going to continue even after Paul is dead, after Peter is dead. I mean, in some ways, even after there's an apostasy that continues, yeah. Christ yeah. and the kingdom continues to grow, uh, maybe yeah. a kingdom without priesthood authority or so on. But but yeah. Christ is being taken. The message of Christ is being taken to all the world. Uh, and uh, and so I, I think that in some ways, this ending also continues to convey that idea that this is still just the beginning. Uh, and yes. and I, I even if Luke didn't plan to and never did write a, a, an act three, as it were, right, book three. He's certainly alluding to it. He's certainly yeah. saying the story doesn't end here. Christ, yeah. the king, goes regardless of if Peter dies, regardless if Paul dies, regardless of who or whatever else, the the gospel, uh, Christ and his kingdom continue to go forward. And we should all preach with all confidence, no man forbidding us. Yeah, I think the, the book of Acts ends in some ways, in a way quite similar to, say, the book of Matthew, uh, where it ends with, go, go and preach. Yeah. And this has to be taken to the whole world. And I, I agree them, 100%. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, yeah. If if the Gospel of Mark, I, I personally think that the original version of the Gospel of Mark ended at verse 8, and I think it ended at, at verse 8 in chapter 16 for precisely the same purpose, to say, Okay, the, the the women who saw Christ did not go and share the message. You go and share the message. Go take the message forth that Christ has been raised and and go and share it. Um, so I, I think often, I think a lot of these Gospels and the book of Acts being Luke's final part of, uh, Luke doesn't end quite like this, but Acts does, saying, okay, now it's your turn. Go and take this message forth. Be part uh, of the gathering. Be part of spreading the gospel. Uh, amen. And and so I guess if we're going to go with the theme of the podcast, that this is real and thus applicable to us, I, I think that hasn't changed. I think yeah. Luke, Mark, and Matthew are all saying to us, go build the kingdom. Go, yeah. go proclaim boldly, no man forbidding you preach the kingdom and, and let's bring people to Christ uh, who is the king. And that's that's the purpose of the restoration, right? Yep. I mean, the purpose of restoration is we are to gather Israel, prepare the world for the second coming of Christ, and do that through missionary work and temple work. All all of that is involved in 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 this message of go and uh, go and change the world. Yeah. Go and, and in fact, it, make it make it into the kingdom of God on earth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Starting in our lives and our homes and our wards yep. and then the whole world. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, those verses we read of Isaiah that I was saying applies to Paul, I, I wholeheartedly believe they apply to modern Israel, to, to yeah. covenant Israel today. They're still about us, and we need to go do the same things that Paul was doing, and he should be an example. And maybe I can just kind of 
even take this opportunity to say this is a maybe a spoiler, but a teaser for next week as well. Um, I, having done this with you in the last n- few episodes going through Acts, I've, I've done differently than I would have in years past. So I'll, I'll just uh, tell you and, and the audience about yeah. uh, what they can expect next week. I've always had a love-hate relationship with Paul. Uh, I like a lot of what he says, but I've always thought, man, this guy's kind of nuts. Uh, he doesn't know <laughs> when to stop, doesn't know how to not how to be tactful and some of the stuff he says is difficult to understand and so on and so i actually invited um lincoln blumel and gay strathern to to convince me so the the episode as we start to read uh, his epistles uh, and I, I we're just placing it there because i feel like sometimes the epistles are hard to understand so i said okay yeah it, it, it convinced me that i should love paul and tell me how to understand paul's writings and uh, yeah. by the time we were done with that I mean, it's not that I hated Paul. I love Paul, but I also sometimes was like, man, I, I think Paul's harder than Isaiah. Isaiah is easy. Paul's hard. But um, but uh, by the time I was done with that, they had me uh, really liking Paul. And I was able to see Paul differently as we've read Acts um, this year than I have in the past. So uh, some of the yeah. things I've been saying about Paul now are because we recorded that like three weeks ago or four oh, weeks nice. ago or something. But yeah. uh, it'll it'll air next week. But uh, I, I approached Acts differently because of the help of, of friends like you. So yeah. uh, I appreciate that. And I hope that while the focus, uh, we were having a, a nicer ending with a focus on Christ. Um, I, uh, I, I think it's also worth uh, understanding that um, sometimes Paul is tricky and hopefully there's help on the way as we begin the epistles. Uh, uh, but it could color how we did Acts. And you're hearing me talk about it having already been colored by uh, by that yeah. episode so yeah uh, but uh, yeah, but I, I, I hope i, I hope your, your listeners love diving into the epistles because there's so much to learn in those i think um oftentimes we we oftentimes paul paul is difficult to understand and i think reading paul in our in the bibles we use in the english-speaking church in the king james version can make paul even more tricky yeah. Uh, so if you have access to a modern version, if you can find online, say, the new revised standard version to read along with your KJV, I think that can help a lot. Uh, but but I think uh, all of us as Latter-day Saints should really appreciate the writings of Paul, because when you read the Gospels, you may have noticed Jesus talks a lot about really core principles of the Gospel, about repentance, about faith, about um about gathering Israel, about things like that, right? Uh, But Jesus in the Gospels doesn't spend a whole lot of time describing how the atonement works. Yeah. Or or talking about the fall of Adam and Eve. Or uh, talking about what, what heaven is like. Or, or a lot of a lot of the core gospel principles that we see as essential doctrines of the church, you don't find those in the gospels. You find those in the teachings of Paul, and of and course in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, well, where a lot of those, a lot of the sermons in there reveal uh, insights that help us understand it better. But but, but Christianity's understanding of the atoning sacrifice comes from Paul's writings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the rest of Christianity's, we, we have both. In fact, I've often said that, you know, the way we divide up our classes that we teach. So you've got, you know, Book of Mormon and sometimes first and second half of the Book of Mormon. You have Old Testament and sometimes first, second half. You've got the Gospels and then the second half of the Gospels, which is Acts through the Revelation. 
that if you're just going to stay faithful to what the text talks about, you actually talk about the atonement the least in the Gospels. Yeah, uh, because that's where Which it's is somewhat about ironic. Right? Yeah, it is. But you'll yeah. talk about it far more even teaching the Old Testament than you will teaching yeah. the Gospels, certainly in the yeah. Book of Mormon and in reading Paul's yeah. epistles. Um, and so this is this next bit of reading is a fantastic chance to really come to understand the, the atonement, grace, uh, what it has to do with the fall, as you said, and what it has to do with all of us coming to, to God as a community of Christ. So it's yeah. exciting stuff. Do you have any Absolutely. other, uh, I was just going to say, I love your idea about um, looking at other translations. So I'll just throw yes. out there. I mean, I don't make any money off this or anything, but there's a, a, a source I really like. It's called netbible.org. So you just type in mm. netbible.org. Yes. And, uh, and you can click there a place that will say parallel. And then you can see like six or seven different translations, including King James translation of any given verse. So if you have a verse you're struggling with, I like that where I can see, okay, here are all the, several different ways people have translated it. And often that helps me uh, muddle through something that's a little bit tricky. Yeah. So. Uh, another one is uh, Bibles.org. Okay. Uh, I haven't thing. used that. Same thing. It sets it in parallel. I think that one is run by the uh, Society of Biblical Literature. Oh, okay. And nice. it's not, it's not, it's not Bible singular org. It's bibles.org. Both of those exist and they're two very different websites. One is okay. just Bibles in different translations that you can put in parallel. Um, yeah. Nice. So that can be really handy too. Also uh, on Paul's letters, uh, I should have, I should have an article coming out in the Leahona, I believe in August, uh, that talks a little about, um, some of the metaphors Paul uses to help his audience understand the atonement of Jesus Christ, uh, language like grace and justification and things like that. Uh, so keep your eyes out for that in the Leahona. All right. We've got a lot of things we'll, we'll link in the show notes this time. That's, yeah. that's great. Uh, so we'll look for that. Hopefully it's out by the time we post the show notes, so we can link to it, but if it's yeah, not out, great. we won't link to it, but um, uh, other tips for reading uh, the epistles. Uh, no, just just that. If you if you're reading it in a modern translation, uh, it will it will help a lot. Um, and and just know that you have to go a little bit slower because this is it's very easy to follow narrative, and that's what we've had in the Gospels and Acts. But in the epistles, uh, Paul is trying to make very detailed logical arguments to convince his readers of something very specific. And oftentimes what he's trying to convince them of has to do with the atonement of Jesus Christ or has to do with uh, living in harmony with both Jewish and Gentile Christians who don't always see eye to eye. And that that those two concepts are new concepts for Christians in his time. And he's struggling to help them to understand this as best as he can. Uh, this so reminds me of last year when we finished narrative chapters and jumped into Isaiah, my First thing I always said was, "You're going to have to slow down. You're, yep. you, you, yeah. you just have to slow down and, and, and pay the, the same price." Way. Yeah, yeah. That's right. uh, I think another thing that's helpful, and we're going to really try and focus on this in this podcast, is to uh, kind of understand the context. So Paul is writing to the Galatians because of some things going on. And, you know, yes. I would have even preferred to stop reading Acts and then go read Galatians and then come back to Acts and so on. Yeah. But, uh, but we're going to try and help 
bring out the the context, you know, or Romans or all the different uh, letters. Sometimes we don't know who wrote it and what the context is, but even so, usually within the epistle itself, you can figure out some of what's going on. So we'll try right. and do that, and I think that will help people make sense of things as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, you have to kind of read between the lines because we're we're only getting one side of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, I'm thinking of First uh, Corinthians, where a couple of times Paul mentions a letter he received from them, but we don't have that letter. Yeah. So all, all we have is Paul's response to that letter. And so we have to sort of guess what might be going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, good. And, uh, and we will find just like, so we'll, we'll wrap up maybe on this note, we'll find just like uh, with what we were talking about with Acts, that uh, in the end, the purpose of the epistles is to bring people to Christ and, and uh, have that be a kingdom, a unified kingdom that is ready, that ha- is coming to Christ and is ready to receive Christ. And and that's what uh, Acts is about. And that's what um, really all of uh, the epistles are about. So we, we've probably gone long enough uh, and we'll end on that note. Hopefully this has been helpful for people. And if you found it helpful, you'll, you'll uh, share it with others. And I want to thank Jason for, for being on and uh, thank our audience for yeah. listening. And uh, we'll great. thank uh, Luke and all those who paid the price to give us this word uh, of God as well. So thank you. All right. Thank you.